We're recording this at 8 o'clock in the evening on February 28th, 2021. So by the time you hear this, Jeff Ward won't be fired, Johnny Gaudreau won't be traded, and Flames fans everywhere will still have plenty of blame to throw around. Welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, the hockey show that produces at least 50% of promised episodes. I'm the Oilers fan, Stuart Jones, and with me is our Flames fan, Darren Plett. Hey, Darren. Hello. How are you doing, Darren? I, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I'm glad. I'm honestly glad we didn't do an episode halfway through the month because that's when the Flames were at their lowest. So <laughs> uh, I've had an opportunity to to uh, kind of pick my spirits up on my own a little bit. That is good. Yes, I will uh, apologize for the fact that we did say we were going to do an episode halfway through the month. And then um, I won't go into too much details, but my boring old day job uh, <laughs> took place and then I couldn't really make that work. So my apologies both to you and to our three listeners who were very disappointed by that missed episode. No, that's that's totally OK. I'm pretty sure the night we were supposed to record, I was sitting there blankly staring at my TV screen as the flames got completely blown out. So I am very happy to uh, postpone that so i could uh you know just fortify myself in time for this well i'm glad that worked out and in fact the other thing that kind of worked out is our scorecard where we kind of look back at the predictions we made last episode for some reason we somehow knew that we were going to miss the mid-month episode <laughs> because we actually predicted all the way up until today i don't know how we managed to do that uh but yeah I guess yeah, let's so, see how well we did. <laughs> sometimes you luck into uh, great, great. I was going to say great predictions. Did we actually somehow nail the prediction that we weren't going to do an episode halfway through the month? Like, congrats to us. Yeah, At least that's I one guess, prediction we got right. Eh? Yeah, that's yeah. one thing we did right. But uh, <laughs> we didn't do that well in the actual predictions, I must admit. So, uh, yeah, over the span of February from the 3rd to the 28th, uh, we'll start with the Oilers. They had 11 games. I thought they were going to win six of them. You thought they were going to win seven of them. They proved us both wrong and went eight, three and oh, that's crazy. Just going to let uh, that hang out there for a second. Oilers eight, went eight, three and oh, the Ed, the Edmonton Oilers, you say? Yes. Yes. I'm surprised that I even predicted that they would do like pretty much that well. So Good for them, I guess. That's, that hurts to say. Uh, the Flames, however, they had 13 games in that span. Uh, I thought they'd win seven. You thought they would win nine. And they yeah. went six, six, and one. Yeah, who? Yeah. Actually, when you say those numbers out loud, it's not nearly as bad as it felt, honestly. <laughs> it's true. That's not a terrible <laughs> record. You could have told me they went like two and ten, and I would have absolutely believed you. That's that's what it felt like. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing it was more sort of the the losses that did happen were sort of heart wrenching, uh, which brings us to our Battle of Alberta predictions. Yeah, those went great, right? Yeah. So we <laughs> both kind of agreed that the first two games would be split and would be kind of close, although we got them in the wrong order. We both thought the Oilers would win the first one. Flames won that one six to four. So big scoring game. Then we predicted the Flames would win the second one, but the Oilers won that one in a flame style victory of two to one. So Gross. Flames winning in an Oilers style and Oilers winning in a flame style. Very strange. But for the 20th of February Battle of Alberta, 
Uh, I predicted an Oilers blowout. You predicted the Flames would win, and I was bang on. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. The Oilers definitely blew out the Flames in a 7-1 defeat in that game. So, Ouch. just to recap, I predicted the Flames would go 9-4 and this month, and they definitely didn't do that. And then I predicted the Battle of Alberta winners in order would be Oilers, Flames, Flames, and it actually went Flames, Oilers, Oilers. So, yeah. there's nowhere yeah. to go but up for me, honestly. That's a very optimistic way of looking at it. <laughs> oh no so i guess now that you're talking about the flames do you want to go into a bit more detail there i don't but i will because there's not a lot of optimism to be had with the flames here um i will start out by acknowledging that pretty much well i'm not going to say everybody but lots and lots of fans are laying this at the feet of jeff ward who is uh, 21 games into his new con- two-year contract with the Flames. And I remember going on a bit of a rant during an episode when Jeff Ward was uh, installed as the head coach after, uh, or I guess he was the interim head coach after Bill Peters was let go. And I went on and on about how players, coaches are good, and I think Jeff Ward would be good because he's lots of experience and has won Stanley Cups, etc., etc. And... He hasn't been great. I will acknowledge that. Like he made a pretty big blunder in the in the Dallas playoff series with the with his goalie changes when he he pulled Cam Talbot, put David Riddick in, who hadn't played in a very long time. David Riddick got shelled, and Jeff Ward said he had been planning to put Talbot back in, but Talbot had stormed off down the hallway to the dressing room, and like communication had been poor. So there's an error there. And then to start this year, the big thing on the Flames forward lines was that Elias Lindholm was going to be the first line center now instead of Sean Monaghan. So they were kind of dividing up the uh, the firepower, as it were. So Kachuk and Lindholm were a pairing on the first line. Gaudreau and Monaghan were a pairing on the second line. And they would go from there. Well, some games that worked out fine and some games that looked absolutely putrid, especially when uh, Gaudreau and Monaghan ended up with a list of wingers like Josh Levo, who hasn't got a goal, and Dominic Simone, who hasn't got a goal, and pretty much anyone you could name has just shuffled through the right wing lines of the Flames, and it just ends up being kind of messy to watch as a fan. I I can't say I know a lot about chemistry because... You know, that's it's kind of hard as a fan to detect, really. But I would imagine it's pretty hard to get familiar with your line mates if you're shuffling up and down the lines, literally from lines one through four. Like, you never know who you're going to be playing with. So it, it, it was kind of odd as fans to see these lines fail more than they were working and then Jeff Ward not go back to lines that had worked pretty well previously. It's not like the lines from last year were failures or anything. They were great. Gaudreau, uh, Monaghan, Lindholm, and Kachuk, Backlund, Manjapani, and Lucic, Bennett, Dubé. Those are three pretty good lines, and they worked pretty well last year. So the fact that it took 21 games in a 56-game season to go back there uh, and actually try that out is insane to me. And they scored six goals when they went back to that, which was, again, their latest game against Ottawa. And yes, I know it's Ottawa, but it's the same Ottawa that shelled the Flames two nights before. So, I mean, Ottawa can't be that horrible, I guess. <laughs> but it just, 
it, I think it speaks volume that it took volumes that it took that long for things to change. That Jeff Ward wasn't willing to go back to the lines that worked last year. I don't know why he felt like the Lindholm at center experiment had to work. I don't know why he felt like his new mix was the way to go and he had to stick with it for as long as possible. But uh, I think that there's more going on with this team than just poor coaching. Cause I don't think Jeff Ward's like a bad coach. I think in Calgary, we should be past the point of blaming coaches by now. <laughs> um, if you, if you see things go wrong with the team and your first instinct is to just pile on the coach at this point in Calgary, then I don't know what to tell you because there's been four coaches through Brad Terliving's tenure. Uh, and the Flames haven't really gone anywhere with any of them. And I know people will argue, well, none of them were that good. But how, like, how do we know that for sure? Like, there was Bob Hartley, who won the Jack Adams and was fired the next year. There was Glenn Gullitson, who he was kind of known in Calgary for how boring his hockey was. Uh, there was... Bill Peters, who we know why he got let go, but he also had a 2018-19 season that was absolutely incredible with the team. And now we got Jeff Ward, who has been an assistant for an extremely long time, has won a couple Stanley Cups, probably was overdue for his shot at being a head coach. And he's, I guess you could say, failing right now as the Flames are 500 and we expected more. So at what point do you stop blaming the coaches? Because the consistent part of the team through all those years, those six or seven years, has been Mark Giordano, Michael Backlund, Johnny Gaudreau, and Sean Monaghan. And I like all those players a lot. And I, you hear a lot about how they're all really good people off the ice too, especially Giordano and Backlund, and how charitable they are, and they're, they're players that try hard. But my take is that there's something going on that fans and media don't necessarily know about. And we may never know about it because we don't hear everything. And because of that, I think we all get pretty frustrated because we need something to blame, right? We <laughs> we need to blame the coach. We need to blame the players because they're playing bad. We need something to blame. But there's always so much more going on because every single person in an organization has a personal life that we're not privy to. And that's it's really good that we're not privy to that. But it also means that we don't exactly know what's going on at all times. So we, we point the blame generally in the wrong place. And that's I think that's probably what's going on with the Flames right now is just something that we'll never know, honestly. And that sucks because we're used to getting all the info in this day and age. But uh, maybe there's something going on with the players. Maybe it is the coach and like something to do with the mix or how people interact with each other who knows but i think it's obvious that the flames are super inconsistent the fact that there's nights where they bring zero effort is crazy to me in a professional sport like there'll be stretches where they they just are totally awful and it's so weird to me that a professional sports team can come out and get absolutely shelled and then come out the next night and get absolutely shelled again and just not look interested in playing so that that speaks to me that something is going on there and I'm going to offer one more opinion, just throwing it out there. This may not be it at all, but I think it's fun to speculate because we're a podcast of fans. So what else do we have <laughs> to do? But 
if you think about it, there's nowhere for the players to go to get away from the game right now, right? Because normally if you go on a road trip, you, you go to a bar or you go out and see the sights or, you know, a group of players will go out for dinner quite often. And right now, if they're on the road, they're stuck in hotels and they can't even see each other. Like players got fined for going into each other's rooms. They're not allowed to do that. The Flames have played a ton of games on the road so far. So on every one of those road trips, you you play the game, you go sit in your hotel room alone, then you get on the plane, and then you get off the plane and go sit in a hotel room alone, and then you go play the game. Like there's nothing outside of hockey and sitting in hotel rooms. And then if they're playing at home, they hang out with their families and the only time they see their teammates is at the rink. And I think that it's probably pretty important for these guys to see each other as not hockey players, but as like other human beings that can hang out together. And that's gone. That's gone from hockey this year. These guys, unless they're breaking rules, don't get to see each other outside of the hockey rink. And I think that might be a big problem with pretty much every team. But it, that might be something that's going on with the Flames, considering how many road games they've played so far then that might be something that's exacerbating issues that are already there. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting and definitely would probably be a factor for most teams. All right, well, on the Oilers side of things, as much as they've had a really good month, like really, really good for the Oilers month, uh, I really want to just talk about one specific date of very historical noteworthiness that is kind of uh, indicative of the Oilers' month as a whole. So on February 9th, the Edmonton Oilers beat the Ottawa Sanders 3-2. Not really noteworthy since they are 4-0 against the Sanders this season. <laughs> but what is noteworthy is that the Oilers won that game and neither Dreisaitl or McDavid got a point. How did Edmonton win if McDavid and Dreisaitl didn't get a point? That doesn't quite compute. Yeah. Exactly. This never happens. The last time it happened was November 28th, 2017. Now, <laughs> for those who have understandably forgotten how time works, uh, uh, over the past year, everyone's just kind of like, what dates, what day of the week? I have no idea. It just, it's all a blur right now, right? So I figured I'd put it into a bit of perspective. So by saying that the first case of COVID-19 in Canada was reported 401 days ago, okay? That's how long we've been dealing with this whole thing. It took 1,169 days for the Oilers to win <laughs> a game without the help of Dreisaitl or McDavid. Yeah, that's a long time. Now, most people are interpreting this fact as the rest of the team is terrible and Dreisaitl and McDavid are just carrying them. And there's definitely some truth to that and we'll look at the rest of the team but like to be fair here do you know how many games in that time neither Dreisaitl or McDavid scored a single point because I don't apparently that's not an easy stat to find so if anybody <laughs> knows please tell me uh, but I can tell you that it's not going to be very many right they don't exactly give the rest of the team a chance to fight off that ugly looking stat nor should they. It's not like Tippett's going to tell them to like, hey, you know, ease up. Don't score one this game. We'll see if the rest of the guys can do it. No, that's not going to happen. So <laughs> I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. Uh, although speaking of easing up, interestingly, McDavid has found this strategy that he's employed a couple times this season where he gets up to like 
a crap ton of points about midway through the second, like five points in a game, and then just basically sits out the rest of the third period because the game is a blowout. We're talking like <laughs> three to four minutes in a period instead of his typical seven to eight. So I like this strategy. I think he should do it more often. Obviously, the getting five points in a game is great. And then, yeah, blowing out the other team, that's great. But on a you know, serious note, I do think that's interesting because it shows that he and Tippett know that like the win is really the only important stat. He doesn't feel the need to run up his points in some race to a trophy that's not ultimately the one he wants the most, right? But, uh, you know, I guess the number of times that that happens, well, it's more than most players, but still not every game. But let's talk about the rest of the team. So how is the rest of the team doing this year as opposed to, you know, since 2017? But this year, well, for starters, we definitely have to talk about Mike Smith's miraculous return to the lineup. (laughs) And like miraculous is not even an overstatement here. He's had six starts, only six starts this year. He's won six games. Uh, two of them were shutouts. And he's scoring a two goals against average and a 9-3-4 save percentage. So he's been phenomenal somehow. I don't quite understand it, but let's keep that going. Koskinen, who we talked about last week, is still doing quite well. He's got a few bumpy games here and there, but hey, nobody's perfect. He's still doing fairly well. And obviously, he's still, you know, the workhorse of the Oilers, putting in way too many uh, games uh, as the starter. So glad that Mike Smith is back to ease the tension off of him a little bit. Darnell Nurse is really coming into his role as a top defender. Uh, He was the first player this year to reach 30 minutes on consecutive nights which he did during the back-to-back Battle of Alberta games. That's a lot of time, even for a gigantic defenseman that takes three strides to get across the rink. (laughs) And on the offensive side, when it comes to five-on-five points per 60 minutes, Jujar Kaira is actually fourth in the league. (laughs) What? Yeah, right? (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah, he he was out for a little bit, so he hasn't played that many games, but uh, he's been doing really well um, since he's been back. And yeah, not only that, I'm going to list off a few uh, Oilers players here. So Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Tyson Berry, Darnell Nurse, Yessi Pugliarvi, Jujar Kaira, and Kaylor Yamamoto. Okay, those are six names. What do you think the common thread between those six names is right now? Uh, they all play for the Edmonton Oilers. Exactly. You got it right. You win zero (laughs) dollars. But the other thing that's common about them right now, they are all having the best season of their careers as far as points per game goes. And like, yeah, it's a shortened season. So maybe that makes it easier. I don't really see how, but I'm just foreseeing all these arguments coming at me. You know, condensed schedule, that's harder. You're playing a lot more hockey in a lot less time, but they're doing well so far. Can they keep up that pace? Who knows? And, you know, there are possibly other Oiler players who are doing this as well, but, you know, I only have so much time. I didn't want to go through, you know, all (laughs) 30 guys on the roster or anything just to find out. But so they're all doing really well right now. Uh, They're all playing the best season of their careers and, you know, that's that's definitely a good sign. It's not just McDavid. It's not just Dreisaitl, although obviously those guys are doing a lot and we never want them to stop or slow down. But on those occasional nights that they do, you know, we do have some other players stepping up, which is great. And, you know, there's some defensemen in that list of names that I 
gave too. So we're getting points from secondary scoring uh, forwards. We're also getting points from our defensemen as well. So now I've always thought that the Oilers should come with a disclaimer, just like a stock investment that says past performance is not indicative of future results. (laughs) (laughs) That is true of the Edmonton Oilers. That is true of many of these players that I've listed again, aside from probably McDavid or Dreisaitl, but you know, I'm really liking what this group is finally learning to do and what I'm seeing. So I'm going against all advice and I am buying high on the Oilers future right now. How long do you think it is until someone starts chanting unsustainable at the top <laughs> of their lungs? Um, well, since there's nobody in the building, uh, I'm guessing it'll take a while until that happens. <laughs> oh, but, but we have uh, Twitter for that. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So you don't just mean chanting during the games on the ice or anything like that. No, someone someone on uh, on Twitter is going to come up with some stats that support their theory that this is completely unsustainable. I'm sure. Oh, I'm I'm sure they already have. (laughs) But it is impressive to see. I mean, we both of us have harped on the Oilers depth scoring and guess what's showing up and guess what's helping them win games right now. Yeah, it's depth scoring, so it's pretty easy to see why the Oilers have been on a run lately. Now it is time for Sellies and Scorns. Stu, start us off with a Selly or a Scorn. All right, uh, I'm going to start off with my Selly, and my Selly is for the entire North Division, or the Canada Division, if you will, because we're in Canada, we know what's up. Hold up, hold up. You didn't say it right. It's the Scotia Canada, Scotia North, NHL Scotia North Division, Scotia NHL North Division. See, you don't even know. know. (laughs) No, but it is one of those. Yeah, no, I am definitely calling it either the North Division or the Canadian Division because Scotia Bank is paying the NHL a lot of money to use their name in the division, but they're not paying me anything. So to me, it's just the Canadian division or the North division. Anyways, my Sally being that division is that as of earlier this week, the North was sitting an average of 3.12 goals per game with every other division below last year's league wide average of 2.97. Now, some people are saying that the North has the most skill and the other divisions are inept at scoring. And many, many, many others are saying that the division is just plain terrible defensively. (laughs) And it could be one, it could be both, but I don't really care how it's happening. It just makes for some damn good hockey when you have more goals in a game. Everybody knows that. The league knows that. They try to get more goals. They'll do anything they can to get more goals. And who knew all you had to do was make the Canadian teams play each other and get we'd get our wish. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that total would be even higher if the Flames weren't dragging the entire <laughs> out into the mud. So it is it is interesting to see the difference between the North Division and all the other divisions. But you're right. The the one nothing, two nothing, two one games that I've seen involving the Flames, even though it's my favorite team, they're not very exciting games. So Bring on the 6-4 Battle of Alberta. Those are the good ones. Now, I I should, you know, correct myself in a way and say that I have witnessed some one nothing games, which are, you know, the most exciting games I've seen, and some really high-scoring ones that are not that exciting. But on average, more goals equals more fun. So 
you know it's true that's true but the only people that don't have fun in high scoring games are goalies and that leads me to my scorn actually <laughs> is a goalie that's having a really bad time and i pulled this from a tweet by chris johnston who is a sportsnet reporter who is excellent and his tweet says eric comrie who is uh a third string goalie on many teams has gone from Winnipeg to Arizona to Detroit back to Winnipeg, then to New Jersey and then back to Winnipeg again, courtesy four waiver claims and one trade over the last 16 months. Tough way to make a living. No doubt. Like that poor guy. Can you imagine? Well, I don't think any of us can really imagine <laughs> what he's going through, honestly, because sure, he's a professional hockey player, but he's a third string goalie that I guess all these teams want, but they don't want enough to secure him a spot on their team. So he's on the team until he has to be sent down, at which point he's on waivers and at which point any other team in the league can claim him. And honestly, not very many players get claimed on waivers because it's it, it requires a lot of shifting of contracts and making space and et, et cetera, et cetera. But they really want this third string goalie, Eric Comrie, for some reason. So again, Winnipeg to Arizona, to Detroit, back to Winnipeg, to New Jersey, to Winnipeg in 16 months. And that a lot of that is through COVID. So he's trying to find places to live, to spend the time. I don't know if he has immediate family or not, but that would be an absolute nightmare. He's not entirely sure who he's reporting to or which sweater he's supposed to put on on any <laughs> given night. That's, you know, Winnipeg is on the Canada side of the border and everything else is in America. I mean, Winnipeg to Arizona right there, that's pretty much as far as you can get to either extreme. That's insane. So I guess my scorn is for the treatment of poor Eric Comrie. Just let the guy settle in somewhere and let him be a third string goalie. It, I, I'm going to say let him let him stay in Winnipeg. He's been there three times, three separate occasions. That's just harsh to yank a guy around the league like that. Yeah, that's definitely very mean. <laughs> business is business, I suppose. But yeah, like that's that's tough to adjust to. You suppose he feels really wanted or really unwanted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of high-scoring games and, uh, you know, the repercussions of that, my scorn is for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right now, they are the top team in the league by, like, a five-point margin. So that's pretty impressive. And again, you know, maybe the Canadian division is just terrible, so it's really easy. But anyway, they're at the top of, obviously, the division and the league. And then they played Ottawa, who are quite literally, and I'm using the word literally as, you know, to mean literally, <laughs> the bottom place team in the league right now. Okay, so the first place team plays the last place team. The Leafs were up in this game 5-1 to one with a minute <laughs> left in the second period. So they had played two whole periods. They were up by four goals. And they lost the game to the last place Ottawa Senators 6-5 <laughs> to five in overtime. I don't know if I have to say much more than that. Like, I know, you know, you and I both know some Leafs fans personally, so we know that they're used to this crushing, yep. crushing last-minute defeat sort of scenario. Um, but, yeah, that's that's brutal to Ottawa. 
And then, yeah. of course, you know, more recently, they beat the Oilers four to nothing. So that didn't exactly get them in my good books. But so they're my scorn for multiple reasons, I guess, but mainly for losing so badly to Ottawa that way. I assume that the Maple Leafs have some sort of quota of crushing defeats they have to endure every year. That's really the only explanation for this most recent one. And, you know, the Zamboni driver fiasco and every game against Boston ever, really. <laughs> Poor and, Leafs fans. Nah, they're fine. <laughs> uh, my Selly is, weirdly enough, for the Chicago Blackhawks. Huh. Now... This one requires a little bit of context, so it'll be a little bit longer one again. I'm sorry. But for those who don't know, the Chicago Blackhawks are fourth in the, sorry, fourth in the Discover Central Division. Now, why is that news? At, at the beginning of the season, Chicago introduced their starting goaltending duo, and it was Kevin Lankinen and Malcolm Subban. So if you know nothing about hockey you'd probably say who and if you know lots about hockey you'd probably say who <laughs> like <laughs> Kevin Lankinen is a nobody and Malcolm Subban is a somebody and that somebody is PK Subban's younger brother who's had some you know backup goaltending stints here and there but they haven't been particularly good so to introduce these two people as your starting goalie tandem is basically screaming from the mountaintop we're tanking for the first overall pick at least that's what everybody thought right because now chicago's sitting at 11 7 and 4 which is absolutely not too shabby and Kevin Lankinen, this absolute nobody goaltender who is undrafted, has a 921 save percentage, and his backup Malcolm Subban has a 916 save percentage. Like, this team was expected to go nowhere. They had off-season drama with stars uh, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane essentially saying that they didn't want to be anywhere near a rebuild, that if the team was going to blow it all up, they didn't want to be there anymore. And they had a very poor season last year. I mean, they, they beat the Oilers and made it into the playoffs. But again, that was completely unexpected. And it's a reason to make fun of the Oilers, not to praise the Blackhawks. Uh, I honestly don't know what to tell you about this. It's an absolute miracle run. And they could absolutely crater and end up last in the league. But right now, they're doing amazing. And I just to stress how... Like how ridiculous it is that they introduced these two guys as their starting goaltenders at the beginning of the season. It's like, it's like, just two absolute nobodies being the starting QBs of an NFL team, no, like people you've never heard of, or an entire starting pitching roster just being people you've never heard of, or like, like if you're playing water polo and the horses. <laughs> our new I don't know how water polo works but you get the idea like announcing two starting goaltenders that that have basically no NHL experience is crazy and Chicago's pulling it off so props to them and props to the management whether they got super lucky or they knew this was going to happen I guess good job and good on them now comes the part of the show where we do our predictions it didn't go super hot last time, besides Stu absolutely nailing the Battle of Alberta predictions. 
But uh, this time we aim to do at least a little bit better. So each team plays 16 games from now until the end of the month. Stu, would you like to start by telling us what you've predicted for the Flames? I'm not going to lie, Darren. It doesn't look good. <laughs> no, just get it over with. Rip the Band-Aid off. Although, you know, it doesn't look that bad. I got them slightly over 500. I think they're going to win 9 out of their 16. You know, uh, like the Oilers, there seem to be splitting most of the series with the other teams in this division. So I feel like if they can keep that up, yeah, they'll do okay, I guess. Wait, you think slightly over 500 is bad news for the Flames? <laughs> I I gotta say, I am far less optimistic than you, as usual. <laughs> I, I go completely wild in the swings from month to month, but I have the Flames pegged at 7-9. and nine. Um, Being someone who watches them a lot and probably gets way too invested, I've seen a lot more bad than good lately, and unless something happens... I don't know what that something would be besides the players deciding to be much, much better uh, and actually deciding to be much, much better, not just saying it. Uh, they have a, quite a few games against the Oilers and the Leafs and the Canadians, and that is a recipe for disaster if you don't get things figured out. So I have the Flames at 7-9. and nine. Fair enough, yeah. I, I'm realizing that my 9-0-16 is kind of yeah optimistic, but no, I, I think they can... They can, they can do all right this month. Well, I thank you for your optimism, Oilers fan. Uh, what do you have the Oilers pegged at? Uh, now, the Oilers, obviously I said, you know, I'm going against all stock buying advice and buying high. But for some reason, even knowing that in my heart, I still can't fully embrace the like the eight and three record of last month. I for some reason, just can't get to that level of optimism on the Oilers. Looking at their schedule, you know, lots of games against the Leafs, um, against Calgary, against Montreal. You know, apparently we all have the same problems with each other and <laughs> with the same teams out east. Um, but they also do have a nice, comfortable swing against the Senators. You know, game against Vancouver. Those ones might be pretty easy. Um, but even the Jets, you know, have not been too easy for the Oilers to take down. So all in all, uh, I think the Oilers are probably going to win. I've got 11 out of their 16. Wow. Okay. So you talked yourself down saying you didn't think they'd be that great. And then you went for 11 and five. That's bold. Uh, I, I came in just under that at 10 and six. Uh, I listened very carefully to what you were saying in your Oilers rant portion of the show. And <laughs> You've convinced me that this will might keep going. I, I'm not buying in on Mike Smith continuing to be a goaltending god for the foreseeable future, but the, the scoring, if the, the Oilers have secondary scoring, that's big news, and that will carry them through a lot of games. So I have them at 10 and 6. Yeah, that's fair. I Of the things that we want to be sustainable, I would also agree that Mike Smith is probably the least sustainable aspect there. <laughs> yeah but I, I do have to defend myself here i you know you said that 11 and 5 is you know really optimistic but it's still not as good as their you know eight and three in february uh as like a win ratio sort of thing so i, I feel like i i've you know 
brought my expectations to a reasonable level based on last month, but we'll yeah. see. It's because it's unsustainable. It's unsustainable, I tell you. Everything's unsustainable. Yep. Uh, what is sustainable is the amount of Battle of Alberta's we'll have next month, and that is three more like we had last month. Um, so I, I think we're going to do the same thing as we did last time and just kind of predict who we think is going to win each Battle of Alberta. The first one being on uh, March the 6th. Stu, who do you think is going to take the first Battle of Alberta? Uh, you know, I... <laughs> How's that for in-depth intelligent analysis? <laughs> yeah. I I honestly think the Flames are going to be way more prepared than they were that last game. They're going to be angry and not just Kachuk. <laughs> um, I, I think the Flames are going to win that one. Uh, there's and The Oilers are going to think it's an easy game because of the last one, and the Flames are not going to make it easy. So I, I do think Calgary's going to win that first one back. Okay. I actually have the Oilers winning that first one because the Flames will be coming off of uh, their Senators high. I didn't really track our Senators theory from last time, but the Flames will be finishing a four-game set against the Senators, and then they'll be rolling in to face the Oilers. So I'm pretty sure the Oilers will be well-prepared to take advantage of the Flames. Uh, I guess that goes completely against the Senators theory, but... Here we are. I, I have the Oilers winning the first battle of Alberta on March 6th, and you picked the Flames. So, Yeah, and, you know, I've, that's a good point looking at the schedule the leading up to that game. The Oilers are coming off three games against the Leafs, so they're going to be pretty down, downtrodden, I think. <laughs> I, I really still am sticking with my guns on the Flames winning that. Okay, okay. I guess I'm just betting against everything we've built up here, unfortunately, so... Maybe I've chosen very poorly, but they do play again on March 15th and March 17th. What is your outlook on what will happen in those two back-to-back -back tilts? Yeah, I I think we're going to split them again. Um, you know, as I say that, I'm I'm starting to think think this over and you know <laughs> what? No, no, I'm 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 changing. I I think the Flames are going to win that first one as as I had already said on the earlier in the month. But I think the Oilers are actually going to take both of these in the back-to-back. -back. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think um, they'll finally kind of have it figured out as to how the Flames operate. If Hopefully the Flames won't have that figured out, because if they do, they'll be a much more difficult team to play. But uh, yeah, I, I do think the Oilers are going to win both of those, actually. I don't think the Flames have any idea how they operate, so I'm not sure how the Oilers <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I, I guess you picked what actually happened during the last month, which was Flames, then Oilers, Oilers. So interest going for the exact symmetrical repeat of last month. I like it. Uh, I have the Flames winning the second out of three Battle of Alberta games and then the Oilers taking the second one on the back-to-back. -back. So that's basically just complete guesswork. I have no framework for that other than I really hope the Flames can take at least one from the, the three games against the Oilers this month. Yeah, that's fair. And again, looking at the schedule leading up to these back-to-backs, Oilers are coming off three games against the Sanders and one against oh, no. the Canucks. That's what happens oh, in no. between the three Battle of Alberta games. So That's, that's going to be the end of the Flames season right there, I tell you. <laughs> It's all over, middle of March. One can dream. 
All right, everybody. Thanks once again so much for listening to this episode of the Battle of Alberta podcast. Please, please, please remember to like this episode or rate it and subscribe to our podcast so you know when new episodes are up. Speaking of which, we will try to do one halfway through the month again. But, uh, you know, life sometimes happens and things don't always work out. But we will try to stick to the two weeks per episode schedule like we've promised in the past. So thanks once again for listening and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye.